BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of Friend of a Friend show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring but down-to-earth conversations with some of my favorite luminaries who are making good change. I am so excited to have Mallory Mark joining us on the show today. She is a singer, songwriter, and model. Born in Louisiana and raised in New York City, Mallory has done just about everything. She's traveled the country as an Olympic fencer in her early teens. She's modeled in campaigns for Yeezy, Fenty, and Gucci. But at just 15 years old, it was her cover of Drake's Marvin's Room that went viral and skyrocketed her music career. In 2019, she landed a record deal with Field Trip Records, a label founded by Zach Bia and James Canton in Los Angeles, where she released her hit debut songs, Ghosts and Strangers, two songs that spoke candidly about her experiences with substance abuse, rehab, and loneliness. Mallory's new music feels different, but really relatable. And now, at just 20 years old, she's finally hit her stride. In this episode, Mallory and I talk about what it was like growing up in New York, from her experience as a young fencer to modeling for Rihanna. We also talk about her recent record deal and what it's like to work with two young creatives, as well as their recent partnership with Warner Records. And lastly, we celebrate the release of her latest single, North American Ride, a song she's now re-releasing at the request of her fan base, which is bound to be her biggest hit yet. I'm so excited to have Mallory on today. I've been a big fan of hers for so long, so I hope you guys love today's episode. If you haven't subscribed to the show and find yourself coming back and listening, take the time to subscribe. And if you love the show, share it with a friend. I love seeing when you guys are listening, so take a screenshot, share it on social, and tag me. I'm at Liv Perez with two Vs. I always reshare as you guys are listening. I appreciate you all. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Here's my friend, Mallory Merck. So where are you calling in from? Um, I'm actually at my mom's house in uh, in Connecticut. She lives in Connecticut. Oh, amazing. And where are you from originally? New York. New York. I love that. Yeah. So I grew up basically like tri-state area. Like my dad was moved from, he moved to New Jersey when I was young. So I had my dad's family there, like my house there. And my mom moved to Connecticut eventually where her family's from. And so I was kind of between like New York, Jersey and Connecticut. Were your parents in music at all? Um, no, my dad actually works um, in pharmaceuticals and my mom did a few different jobs when I was growing up. She used to work as a, a PI and then she used to work as, um, uh, she used to be a, a special ed teacher uh, to help specifically children with autism. Wow, that's amazing. 
Yeah, she worked in a middle school and a high school. Wow, that's awesome. What like an eclectic background to be surrounded by all the time growing up as a kid. Yeah, definitely. My dad was very like working at pharmaceutical, like he was involved with helping people and same with my mom. And so they definitely taught me like a lot about caring for other people before caring for yourself, which a lot of people don't they think is the other way around. But like, I think I just grew up on like putting others before myself, which now I'm realizing is like, obviously you have to have a balance in your life, but I'm definitely thankful that I grew up that way as opposed to the other way around. What were some of the musicians that were played in your household as a kid? Mm, my dad really loves like classic rock, like, you know, like Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. And my mom likes classic rock too, like Janis Joplin, Stevie Nicks, like from that time period. But my mom also, she likes just more chill stuff, like um, some folk stuff. Sometimes my mom used to listen to a lot of country music, honestly. I don't know how else to say it, but not really like the the classic country music. Like she really liked Shania Twain and like the chicks. I love that. Keith Urban and that's kind of basic, but like just some some stuff that I honestly do still have an appreciation for, you know, some country music. <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit about what it's like to grow up in New York City because I moved there when I was 18 and there was just such like a massive creative energy. And I, I also read that you were a junior Olympic fencer. How did that happen? Um, yeah, so for about geez, six, seven years, I was a fencer. And wow. I started when I was like, I think 12 or 13, because I never really, I never really liked any other sports besides like, you know, basketball was fun, like soccer was kind of fun to me, but I didn't, I didn't really stick with anything. And my parents tried a lot of different stuff because I was into sports, but I didn't like being part of a team, I guess. Like, I just right. was, like, no. no, I get that. Because when I think of fencing, the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, wow, like it's a really competitive sport one on one. Like it's you and the other person. Right. And so my dad, one day we were driving and we drove by this fencing club that was in Pennsylvania at the time. So about like 15 minutes from our house in New Jersey. And I saw them in the window, like, fencing. And I was like, Dad, what are they doing in there? And my dad's like, they're fencing. And I'm like, what the heck? That seems so cool. I want to stab people with swords. Like, that's what I said. (laughs) I was like, I want to play with swords. Like, that looks so fun. And my dad was like, well, if you do become a fencer, you learn that they're not called swords. And you're going to have to, like, you know, he was was really into it. It's very refined. So I did that at that club for four or five years. I got really good. And then I got to a point where I was doing tournaments. I was doing the Junior Olympics and stuff. But my my club itself was like, I felt like kind of like I was the best there. And I kind of wanted to like branch out. So I actually begged and begged and begged my dad to let me take lessons and my mom to take lessons at um, Fencers Club in New York, um, which is on like 28th. And like at that point, I was like really, really into it. Fencing was my life. I was traveling all over the country, which I'm really thankful for. It was just like, me and my coach and a couple of our club mates that would just go to these crazy tournaments and stay in hotels. And it was like, honestly, a really fun, fun time. And then I started fencing at Fencers Club in New York, got even better. And then, yeah, I did the Junior Olympics a few times. Yeah. It sounds like you're a person who just does not take no for an answer. Yeah, I, I really like I'm, I said that because like looking back, like I really like, I don't know. I had like the best equipment, like not the best equipment, but I was like, 
really passionate about just being the best I could possibly be and my dad and my mom really helped me with that like my dad would bring me to practice like I would stay late I would be like come on like five more minutes five more minutes I would be like trying to fence all the time (laughs) like I must have been so annoying you started modeling around that time as well you've been featured in Pat McGrath ads Gucci Fenty campaigns how did you get into modeling during that time so I was in New York, obviously, honestly, I was going to fencing practice like five, like four or five days out of the week. And I would, it would be like an extra excuse to be in the city. And around that time, I think I had done a few modeling jobs like here and there, like just people would always ask me like, oh my God, you should model. And I had a lot of friends, obviously, like in fashion. And so I think one of the things that I took for granted also being from the city you can actually like kind of do whatever you want like and it'll just kind of like appear to you especially if it's in the arts like if you really want to be a a rapper be a singer like you'll find some showcase some show to go play or if you want to do modeling you'll find a casting i think i was just doing like little stuff like that and then i did yeezy season i did a few i was attending fashion week and then i just kind of like that was like the springboard i just started doing castings and stuff and then boom I once I got the job with Pat McGrath she really like lifted my platform like that much higher which I'm really thankful for like looking back like as if as like a 15 16 year old like that was a really big job to do like Pat McGrath and she really like really put my foot in the door as far as like big names and and just being like up there in the household names like for the modeling industry like my uh, my name was now in that like pool of people that could do these jobs totally and all these things so that's what really like springboarded it was easy and pat mcgrath and then i think i did gucci like very shortly after it's funny because i feel like we've talked about so much so much about new york already in this episode but i think that's why people move it's the fact that it's like there's so much access to so many things and i know it does sound weird but what you were saying about if you do want something it it's closer to you just by the fact that like you're living in a city where it's like the epicenter of so many things. Like you're proximate to where you want to be and you're able to go to fashion week things. You're able to go to castings. It really is a place where like you can really manifest. I feel like what you want. Yeah. New York city is kind of like the red, it's like Reddit in a city. Like you can literally just go on and see what you want to do. And there's someone within a, like a five minute radius that's doing the same thing. Like, Wow, that's maybe one of the best comparisons I've ever heard. We'll be right back after a quick break. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. Our crowd investors were. And now you can join them in what's next. Our crowd is a global venture investing platform that empowers institutions and individuals to invest and engage in emerging companies. With Our Crowd, accredited investors have access to, to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Their their investors have benefited from companies IPOing, like Beyond Meat, or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in an amazing company called Future Family, the fintech innovator removing the costs and complexity barriers of fertility care. As they transform the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar fertility care industry, Future Family's products give everyone the opportunity to build the family of their dreams. And you can get in early on Future Family and other unique opportunities at OurCrowd.com slash friend. To start investing, head to OurCrowd to see if you complete the requirements to become an accredited investor, 
and join their network of over 50,000 accredited investors in 180 countries around the world. If you become one, you can join our crowd for free at O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash friend and review the current deals. There is no payment involved until you decide to participate in a deal. Again, your Our Crowd account will be free. Just go to O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash friend. Happy investing. Sounds like you were pretty busy as a kid between fencing and modeling. When did you start to make music a priority? I started to make music a priority, honestly, like shortly, shortly afterwards, like I was probably 16 now. I was a junior in high school. And at that point, I had made social media accounts for myself and I was getting a pretty good following. Like I had like a lot of followers on Twitter, which I don't have Twitter anymore, but that was like the main thing for me was Twitter. And um, people really liked seeing like, to be following me for some other reason and i was like yeah i put a cover of um marvin's room by drake i know so like corny but whatever (laughs) i put that i love that you just called that corny (laughs) (laughs) like the drake cover like of course of course whatever the drake piano cover was iconic in all respect but i put that out and of course everyone was like oh my god you can really sing like please put out more music and then I was like, well, they don't even know I can actually write and stuff. And I was writing these crazy songs. Like, since I was a kid, I've been writing. And so I, I put out, you know, like, little little tune. Like, I just played with my guitar on SoundCloud. And I just, people just really seemed to like it. Like, more than any of my, like, modeling pictures. It got a lot of, like, more reposts and just replies in general. And I'm like, okay, like. They, they seemed to like the music. So I just, I remember telling my agency at the time I wanted to do music. And they were like, they never said no, but they were just like, okay, like, you know, have fun. They didn't really take it seriously. I was like, watch, I'm, I'm going to make music and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be worth more to you guys. Like, you guys should be happy. And they were just not seeing it. And I was like, what the heck? Like, like I'm gonna be rich then and so I literally just didn't tell them and I was just making the music and I was telling everyone that I possibly could that I was a musician like every modeling job that I went on they were like oh you're a model I'm like no I'm not a model they signed me because I'm a musician I was lying but like I was trying to push myself what was the first song that you ever wrote the first song that I ever wrote was called biting in and I still have like the notes and and the little voice memo of it, but I actually um, I turned it into a song recently that I just re-recorded. So hopefully one day that would come out. But yeah, it's a song called "Biting In," and it was really is kind of like a sad song. It was just about like how evil the world is and how we're in like a clutch of the world. But I don't I don't know why I decided to write about that, but I guess that's how I was feeling at like 12 or 13 it's just funny I just think about myself at that time and I'm like I had it like I thought I I thought my world was ed- like I thought I was so dramatic I was just a dramatic person when I was younger my most like cringe teenage years were being like 12 and 13 and being the most like emo dramatic person <laughs> of all time like I it's something I often just like I don't want to talk about it <laughs> like, like why was I so like why were we so dramatic <laughs> I was literally so depressed. Like, what was wrong with me? 
It's like the beginning of hormones, I feel like, for girls. And it's like the first time you just feel so out of your body. That's true, actually. That's so true. Yeah, when you think about it, like there's a reason why there, I feel like so many people can just relate on that like really cringeworthy time of just like listening to really depressing music. It's like on Tumblr all the time. Exactly. It was so, such a fun time, though, honestly. I'd love to hear a little bit about your process. I've heard that you've said songwriting is kind of like an out-of-body experience for you. Can you elaborate on what that process is like? Yeah. So honestly, right now I'm working with obviously Dan Farber a lot. He did like my last Project Strangers. Me and Dan, like we have a really good connection to make stuff happen because I always have said that it's an out-of-body experience, but I never understood like why I say that. So I, I just started looking into it a little bit more because I, I can never meditate. I can never focus enough to meditate. But however you want to say, I do consider myself like to be intact with my own existence, like at least. But I never meditate. And I'm always wondering why I can never like focus to meditate or anything. But I, I do feel like when I write music and when I'm like in the studio and like just focusing, like that's the closest that I get like to meditation because I'm like focused on just my connection to I don't know the the universe the astral realm sometimes because sometimes I swear that it's like I write stuff and I'm like then I read it after I wrote it and I don't remember thinking that I don't remember like necessarily feeling that and I'm like what it's it's obviously like an energy being transmuted like through me and then onto the paper so I think I think that's why it feels like an out-of-body experience because I'm just like tapping into, sometimes I'm tapping into my own feelings, which tends to be a bit harder because I just like, then sometimes I get really like overwhelmed with emotions and then I'm like, all right, I got to take a a step back, a break. But being in the studio with people that understand that and not a lot of people definitely helps. Like I can only be in the studio with like, maybe four people tops and then I start to get like too many voices in my head a little bit like right I can I can relate to that I get that I read that you feel like you have premonitions before you write where do you think that comes from do you feel like that's also part of you just being really energetically connected yeah I've always like had that since I was little I'll just say things that then like happen moments later now it makes me realize that I should pay attention to my subconscious thoughts and like what I don't really give as much attention. Like I'll write something, maybe not really realize what I wrote, but it's just funny because I wrote fresh out uh, uh, before I went to rehab. I wrote a lot of songs that honestly I could probably just go back on and be like, yeah, that did end up happening. I don't know if it's a matter of like me manifesting something, but I'm not from, from my track record. I'm like, I'm okay at manifesting stuff literally like that, but I don't think it is that. Like, I think it's more of like, I'm actually like kind of knowing that this stuff is going to happen. That's the only way I can explain it. Yeah, it feels like you're a really energetic person. Yeah, I I honestly have no idea why that happens. It's really creepy. Like, even to me, it's kind of crazy. So I just kind of laugh it off. But like, I I would love to know why. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm just excited to see how that, take shape in your music going forward. I'm sure that as you get older and like write more songs and feel more of that, it will be incorporated into your music probably more than you think. Right. I, that, that Yeah, that's why I was saying it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I, I don't even know how many 
I probably should look back to see what's gonna be happening. How do you know when a song is finished? Oh man, I never know. I'm like, I'm always changing it. Always like, no, this is wrong. Let's go back. But honestly, the song is done on my part when I get like the words out and and because that to me is like the most painstaking part is going back and just really figuring out, well, what are you really trying to say? Like you're saying this, but what are you really trying to say? Because once again, it's like I have these weird experiences where it's like, boom, the song is written. And then I don't know what I'm really writing about until I really tap in back to the lyrics and the sounds. And and that can be really like really emotional and really just like kind of like not painful, but um, hard. And so I think that when that is over, that's when the song is done. Even if my producer or my engineer or whatever has to go back and tweak 8 million things, like I'm kind of checked out. Like they can come to me and be like, how do you like this? And I'm like, all right, cool. But once that process of just pulling out the, t- the splinter, I'm like, okay, I'm, t- I'm done. I'm fucking done. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like a release. Yeah. <laughs> how did you know when you found your sound? Because I feel like you have such a distinctive sound. And mm. I wonder what that process was like for you. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm still in the process right now, I will say. We're always, always wondering uh, how to focus my sound more. But most important thing to me is making it sound as if how it kind of sounds in my head as far as like live instruments. I really, I don't really use a lot of computer generated sounds. I really like to hear it played out in the room. I think that's like, how my sound has come about because I just don't tend to shy away from the computer editing and the computer production and I just want to play it and if I can play it on the guitar with just me and the guitar and we know it's a solid song and that it probably is my sound or like a reflection of what what I want it to sound like because I think I I just started writing mostly with a guitar or with a piano and if I can't break it down to that, then yeah. And then I, I think it's a mix of that acoustic sound. And then also um, I'll use like my voice and my lyrics to kind of keep it like modern, like unintentionally and just to the times and a reflection of what I what's happening right now in my life. And then I think that just somehow creates like my sound quote or whatever. So through writing and figuring out your sound at the same time. When did you feel like you were ready to sign with a label? Oh, I actually never really thought I was ready for that. Like I spent I spent um a lot of time meeting with different labels and to be honest, not not to hate on any label that I've ever met with, but I really just never was I never got that excited. And then when I met I met my team that I have now, like very slowly like we put together like a puzzle kind of with the team that I have now. And my team is still pretty small, even at at Warner. Like I don't, I have a pretty close knit like set of people that work with me. And I think my managers, Zach, James, Coyote, obviously we all kind of met in different ways, but they all seemed to have they had connections with people at Warner, just coincidentally. Like a few of Zach and James's friends had moved around in the industry and then were at home at Warner, and we just kind of kept coming back to there and and my team over at Warner Miles Gersh and they all just showed like 
that extra bit of like motivation and like something new that I hadn't done before. And they were like, we can help you do these newer things that are just like, you can obviously achieve them if you want without a label. That's, that's cool too. But I would be stupid not to do this just as far, like whether they're a label or not, just as far as like my life and like just the signs and that were coming along with it and everything. It was literally like, yes, yes, yes. Like God was putting these things into my life for me to like use and the tools. And I was just like, I would really be making a mistake if I didn't do this because this is how I'm going to just expand my team and just spread more like good shit, you know? Totally. You mentioned Zach and James earlier, who is Zach Via and James Canton. They co-founded Field Trip Records about two years ago. I personally love that you're with them. They're two friends of mine. I think they're extremely talented. But I think what is most appealing to me about hearing your partnership is just the choice to work with people that are like young creatives, also on a really similar page as you, also can like see the world through your eyes versus someone that's like like that you could consider as a friend per se I'd love to hear a little bit about what that's like to work with people who are your age and help push your career forward in a way that feels probably really realistic to you because you guys view it through a similar lens I always say that they're like my my brothers you know right the way I met them was uh through like a, a friend that recommended that I go out and meet Zach and James And I literally stayed with them for like a week and a half. Like I didn't know anyone out in LA. Like I knew some people, but I was like there to be with them. And they literally just took me around like as if I was a friend. I just had like a really, a really great time connecting with them about art and about like our ambitions. We're all kind of like similar. And I think what, I think what drew me to them is obviously, yeah, like I could talk to them about my fears about the music industry without them subconsciously wanting to get rid of those fears or prove that they're not that or because those are like the fears that I had were real things that happen to artists like you know losing the control of your creativity or losing just like motivation because you feel like you're doing a job instead of something that you love and like all these things that I wasn't able to discuss that with anyone else because I didn't feel safe enough and I didn't feel like they would give me an answer that would even make any sense. Like people would just say to me like, well, you're lucky to do this or, you know, like the things that you are, are true, but it doesn't really help as an artist to hear that. So I definitely appreciated Zach and James so much for just telling me how, how it could be and how we can kind of avoid any of those things because we're not a la- they're not like a, a we're not a, a label or we like we're not like the big just older suits that are like worried about all that shit and we're actually in the streets or actually like in the parties in the everything at the time or corona but we were really like we're living it so no one's going to tell us what is the next thing or what is going to keep us relevant <laughs> I want to get into your writing a little bit because since signing with them, you've released three singles, Ghost Strangers, and you just released North American Ride. I would love to talk about Ghost a little bit because I know it's a deeply personal song to you. You had mentioned earlier that you had gone to rehab. And I think what's so interesting is that that's a reality that a lot of young people face. And 
it's not something that is like, it's still taboo in a way to get help at a young age and deal with the issues that so many people are dealing with. And I think there was even like that shock value when Euphoria came out, for example, where, you know, someone maybe a bit older would be like, oh my God, this is like really, really insane. Like, do kids really experience this? But if you ask someone in their teens, they'd be like, oh yeah, people are experiencing this. Right. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what you felt called to and why you felt it was necessary to put these things down on paper for for you to share with your listeners. Right. Bringing awareness to addiction and also the real struggles of addiction is really important because even though it's taboo to be talked about, it's actually in our face like so much. And I think it's that that's more dangerous than not talking about it because a lot of times like it's almost glamorized to live a fast paced lifestyle. And any drug addict knows that that glamorization is just a glamorization of drug addiction. And I always say in society, we kind of are all drug addicts anyway, because we get up and we like have to chase that feeling of like happiness or whatever. And it's really the same thing if you're a drug addict, but the difference is like the happiness is like getting high. So it's, it's really easy to, I think it's easier to become a drug addict in today's society because there are just so many things that are asking you to be pulled away from your reality anyways, whether it's drugs or not, it's the same thing. And like a lot of people will not agree with that. They will be like, well, I'm not a drug addict just because I go to a nine to five every day, but you kind of are like, you have that in you. You have the ability to be addicted to something and, and honestly put your existence on the back burner so that you can continue to do this thing. Like that's the same thing as drugs. So I think it's really a lot easier to become a drug addict than people realize because you try that thing one time, whatever it is, drinking, smoking, whatever. It doesn't have to be hard drugs like heroin or meth or anything like that to make you feel good. Like you do that thing one time and you're like, oh my God, especially nowadays with coronavirus, people losing their jobs, you're sad for no reason. Even people that wouldn't even be sad are feeling sadness. And it's like, I think it's really important to talk about that because I know what I was feeling and I, and now I see everyone kind of feeling like that. And I'm like, oh no, this is dangerous because if we all are feeling like this, I know the drug addicts out there and the addictive personalities and people that are dabbling right now could become in my shoes where I was not able to continue that lifestyle healing over about to die. So it's like really important. I think that was it for me. I was just looking around and I'm like, this could be anyone right now. A hundred percent. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Is there something, and if you don't mind me asking this question, is there something that helped you in the past couple months that maybe someone listening right now who's struggling with some things that you struggled with as well, that was most helpful for you that you could share? Yeah. For me, it was realizing that my progress as a as a human being is not like linear, like it's not going up, up, up all the time. And a lot of times, even in in sober living, in treatment, they tell you that over and over that your progress isn't linear, but they still do you still are doing things that make it feel like, damn, like if I don't get up and do better today, am I really doing better? Like, but that mentality will make it really hard for you to 
get better or stay better. Like you have to be like gentle with yourself. And even if you're currently struggling with an addiction or with anything, a friend that's going through an addiction, like you can't put the same pressures as society puts on yourself or them. At, like you can't do that because it's really hard enough to exist in society telling you, well, just just quit or just get some help or just be thankful that you're young and healthy or why are you trying to throw your body away or throw your life away? Like no one wants to hear those things because you're feeling like that anyway. So I think my biggest advice would just be like, not be so hard on yourself and know that every day is going to be like different than the next. And you might not feel better today. You might slip up today, but there's always tomorrow. And don't look at it as like a line to the top or like there's some goal that there's some pot at the end of the rainbow because it's really not like that. Like every day is a roller coaster. And I think that knowing that is will keep you a little bit more peaceful and knowing that the whole journey is not you're not getting better every day you're just a little bit more sober <laughs> like you gotta keep you gotta just take every day for what it is and not be too hard on yourself I love that my mom butted and she said don't forget to forgive yourself because my mom is also sober so I think it's probably really nice to have each other to work through work through moments like that yeah definitely having someone that understands around helps but I've been there also where there's no one around that seems to understand and that can be really, it can feel lonely. So even if you are like that with no one around you, just know that there's, there are millions of people going through what you're going through right now. And even though you feel so selfish and alone, you're actually like on that step towards being part of a bigger, part of a bigger community. And it's really special. Speaking of loneliness, it's something you also talk a lot about um, on your song, Strangers. And as someone who also lived in New York, I'd love to hear you talk about strangers actually making up a huge part of your life. Mm -hmm. And you said something that strangers are there to open up and they're a blessing and possibly an angel communicating with you on earth. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you've communicated with strangers in your life. Like, what's your opening line? Like, how do you start a conversation with a stranger? Because I actually think that that is something so beautiful to say. And I'm sure that it's helped you so much, but it's also something in terms of community that I feel like people could be doing more of, especially during this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like I literally have always talked to strangers since I was like a kid. Like my parents would be like, I'm gonna leave you alone for five seconds. Please don't make any friends. Like I, <laughs> I literally <laughs> always talking to, I literally would be on my mom's arm, like, you know, holding my mom's hand. And then if there was somebody next to me, I might turn and just be like, hi, how are you? Like, I literally <laughs> just I love that. Strangers so much. And obviously, you know, it's a little, it, it's like a dice game when you're talking to strangers. But I say, like, everyone is a human. Like, I always tell my mom, like, when we're walking around, there's a word for it. I forget the French word. But when you realize that everyone has a life around you and everyone has different shit going on. I feel like a lot of times we try and close that that existence off from each other but we're all connected as humans like if you're in a room with another human on an animalistic level they can smell whether you're scared or happy or sad like we can feel each other's energy and each other's like just vibrations and I think I I can like some I can sometimes like really like their thoughts and feelings like osmosis toward like in me and I just feel it and then I'm like 
I don't know. I just talk to them and it's like, I know that they're not gonna shy away from me because I'm kind of like breaking myself down to that bare like human existence. And I think you could talk to any human like that. Like you could just be be a human because everyone around us, like we're all going through all this stuff together. Coronavirus, pandemonium with politics. Like the world as we know it is really falling apart around us. Like, especially if you live in America, like the collapse of a country doesn't always look like fucking bombs outside your window or people, you know, fires on the streets. Like it doesn't always look like that. Sometimes like it looks like what we're going through right now where they're trying to be like, it's okay. Everything is fine. Like everything's not fine. So I think that's like a a thing that you can really connect to any human, like whether they feel one way or feel another, like we're all human and we can agree that's happiness exists between each other suffering exists between each other so I think just relating to those things as a human is is really important I couldn't agree more and I think that's a really empowering message to send is that I you know I always think about that quote is that you you know be nice you never know what somebody's going through and I think that's something especially now during a time where we're all dealing with something collectively that we could definitely implement a little bit more in our lives I'm also really excited to talk about North American Ride, which is your latest single. And I also read that it's finally getting its official release because of the fact that your fans were the ones asking for it, which is so exciting. And I'm sure is like the coolest thing ever after all this time to go back and be like, the fans have always been there for me from day one. Yeah. Um, North American Ride is like my probably my biggest song. Not like not today. I would I don't know about the numbers, but like just everyone that has been following me for more than I guess three years now knows that song and it's just like I feel like I want to take a road trip to this song totally and that's definitely the vibe I have another single coming out like shortly after that I'm like really really excited about that one actually and um it's definitely like as soon as you hear it you just feel like the sun hit your face I love that well 2021 looks exciting for you you have so many songs coming out definitely that's so exciting So we always finish every episode with like a quick little lightning round. So just let me know whatever comes to mind first. What was the last song that you listened to? Last song I listened to was Age of Machine by Greta Van Fleet. What is the most unexpected thing that we can find on your writer? Unexpected thing? Uh, I would say like endless sour candy. Oh my God, a girl after my own heart. I could literally, I could like live and die on Sour Patch Kids or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Sour Kids. I've read that you felt that you are a medium to your past lives to be put into words. Who do you think you were in your most recent past life? I think I was an old woman in living on the streets of France. I don't know why, but that's the vibes I get from her. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I could see on your Instagram that you are a Harry Potter fan. What's your favorite Harry Potter movie? Uh, I really... I like I feel like I just asked the most pressing question of this entire interview. <laughs> I like I love Order of the Phoenix. Me too. I'm glad you said that. Love Order. That's where everything what makes sense. That, that's actually true. That is where things start to make sense. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing you must have in the studio at all times? Tea or coffee? Ooh, are you a tea or coffee person? Coffee, but I need tea in the studio. What is your best tip for writer's block? Just write even if it doesn't make sense. Who is your dream collaborator? I had to dream for a second. Uh, uh, I love that. uh, Honestly, I would love to work with Erica Badu. Wow. 
that would be a duo. Yeah, like even if we didn't make anything, I just would like to like just work with her, see how she is in the studio. What's your favorite line you've ever written? Mm. Oh, I wrote a line in um in this song called River Flow, which is long gone, but this the line goes, You get high to make up for the time in an hourglass. Wow. Love that. Yeah, because life and last question, what is the best piece of advice a friend has ever given you? Best piece of advice my best friend Tabby gave to me is uh, you're the coolest person in the world. Don't act like you're not. Amen. Yeah. I agree with your friend. <laughs> like, I think even if, if you think you're the coolest person in the world, nothing can stop you. That's totally true. It's really true. And I completely stand by what your friend said. <laughs> you are the coolest person. And I'm so glad we got to talk and catch up today. Thank you so much, Olivia. This was really fun. Thanks. Good. I'm so glad. And I'm so excited for all your new music this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Bs. See you next week.